Gaming MBS, episode 231, being recorded February 25th, 2019. Thanks for joining Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have everybody on board. Sean, man, you uh, you don't sound so good. You all right? I am feeling a little doggy-doggy. Yeah, we were supposed to record yesterday, and I got the text. You're like, sick. Can we push it out? D-O-D-O. Oof. Not so good. The virus got me. You sound a little crappy. It's, I, uh, it's in my... Nasal, my nasal cortex. You can also tell, uh, listeners, if you've ever seen Sean in person, you can also tell because the pompadour is wilted. And when the pompadour wilts, it's a sign of it's a sign of sickness. It's like a cold nose on a dog type of thing. If the pompadour wilts more than 45 degrees, he's out. Truth. So, Hashtag truth. Yeah, we've hit pompadour uh, uh, destabilization. This is not good. But... I have I've had worse things happen. Oh yeah. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. This is you're, you, you're not in a hospital. <laughs> blowing my nose and sniffling here and there. I'll I'll be all right. Yeah. This is fuck. I got fuck. in my car and drove and got McDonald's today. Yeah, this is walk some out. other situations I would not have been able to do that. Very true. Very, so, very yeah. true. You know, I'm a I'm an optimist like that. Oh cool. I'm a well, I'm a glass half full guy. So, courting, courting disaster of being sick, my uh, my kids at their school, they have a gaming club. I mentioned this before, and uh, I had a chance to run. I ran BX in honor of Hobbs. I ran some BX for AJ and some of his buddies. And um, it is amazing the kids do not care what the game system is. They just don't care. They should care. As long as the, game, as long as the character sheet has the info they need on it, they don't give a fuck. Well, that's their problem. Brett. That's the problem with today's kids nowadays. <laughs> Because their questions are, I want to do this. How do I do it? Roll this or under. Oh, cool. How do I hit this armor class? Roll that number. Oh, great. What's my saving throw? Cool. As long as the numbers are there and they figure out where it is, they're good. They're yeah. totally golden. Yeah. So explain to them that go, right? It's not hard. <laughs> yeah, but you still got to explain it to them. All right, kid, roll a die, subtract your armor class. That's what you got to roll. It's easy. As opposed to roll above a 15, kid. Well, it's easier. There you go. Yeah, one is yeah. easier. One is um, one is a little tougher, a little hardier. Right. Separ- separates the adults from the kids, as it were. Maybe, you know? maybe. Well, I'm sorry. I, I should say the the stronger of mind. Maybe from, the, from those who can't handle it. Yeah. I was an English and philosophy major, and I can do that math. You're telling me you can't do that math? I Come can on. do it. I just don't want to. Oh. Like just like math classes that I took, I had to, but I didn't want to. Uh, I see. Okay. But you know, some of it came in handy. I'll tell you what. I mean, all you have to do is grab your copy of Swords and Wizardry. You're like, oh, here's a sending armor class. Done. True Problem that. solved. True that. Double true. <laughs> anyway, let's see here. Enough of that stuff. So announcement-wise, GaryCon is next week. We'll probably say this one more time. Then we'll get back from GaryCon. We'll talk about it again just to say, hey, what happened? Because we always have a tendency to do that. Um, but that is coming up March 7, 8, 9, 10. Hopefully we shall see you there. I think Sean, Sean has said this before. He's got some games he's playing in. I'm going to try to run some stuff off grid and kind of lounge about and have some fun. Just relax. It'll be nice. 
Sean, we're still doing awesome dice. Do we have a? Did we pick a February winner yet, or is that is that next week? Oh, that's right. February short month. We'll do it next week. Next week, start of March, we'll pick February's winner. Got yeah, it. so if you want to get in on that, ladies and gents, you'll want to go over to GamingBS.com and submit your email to join our email list. You'll all be automatically entered to win a set of dice from AwesomeDice.com. I've been entering in like, I've been signing up for that thing like crazy. I still, still haven't won. Yeah, Bunch I still haven't Shit. If you also want to head over there and just order dice um, because you don't want to wait and see... Then when you place an order of $10 or more, enter promo code GAMINGBS and you'll get 15% off your order. Yeah, Brandon um, and the folks at Awesome Dice are awesome. So there you be. As far as the restrictions goes, uh, I think they will deliver to Europe, Australia, Canada, America. I think, I think those are the majority of places that are not restricted from the contest. So yeah, there you go. Um, oh, one more thing. I was going to say um, I had a, a Kickstarter check-in at Avalon 1 just for anybody um, who gives a crap about that, who backed it. If you did, I thank you very much. I met with uh, Phil Vecchione and Chris Nizak of Encoded Designs fame and taking a look at what we've got. Um, <clears throat> if you are backing it, you should check the your, your backer email because you'll get a cool little image that Matt Morrow put together for the Brain Gorger. <laughs> I like it. It looks really good. Oh, I saw so, that. So that's out there. I shared that around social media. That's pretty cool. We are on track for everything we need to do. The only thing we were a little bit behind on were the backer surveys. Phil is all over that. But otherwise, the um, the layout, the publishing, the fulfillment, still looking exactly as we had hoped. So, so far, so good. Yeah, all, uh, all making me happy. So, yeah, firing on all cylinders, as they say. Very pleased. Very, very pleased. Awesome. Shall we move on? Random yeah. counter? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Right. Right. Random encounter. It's where we field v- voicemails, emails, comments from social media. So I was just as a quick note, I was going to try to get Sean to rant about something because I know Roger Brassel likes a good Sean rant. But what is it? Tell Sean's, me. No, no, no. You're you sick. You can't leave the audience. No, we're, you're sick. We're hit it next week. It'll come back next week. Gotta let it sit. Gotta let it sit. Wait for it. Wait for you to feel good. Otherwise, it'll be some NyQuil-induced thing, and you won't remember what you said, and you'll disavow all knowledge of it. Can't have that. It is not my choice that is bright as leaving you hanging. Just saying. Just saying. I know. It's a teaser. Anyway. I don't know if I have the energy to go off on a rant. That's what I'm saying. We need to wait. I did eat McDonald's, though. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Which is... It's not that bad. You don't need to commit suicide. I mean, easy, buddy. Anyway. I'm dying from it. Um, (laughs) Laramie Wall emailed us. He says, hey, guys, I think it's interesting that Brett brings up Lost. Did you bring that up or did I bring it up? I brought it up. You brought it up. It's a technicality. It is. It is. Well, we brought up Lost. At the end, when discussing whether uh, you like to disclose secrets, I was thinking about plots that wrapped up with no lead-in. Things just like Lost, The Stand, The New Battlestar Galactica, stories that really don't have a plan or path and just wander into an unsatisfying ending. As for if I like to give away the things the players missed or if the players want those things, I think the break for me is whether that is mechanical or story-based. If there's a mechanical item that I couldn't grok, I want to know that. Hey, that animated statue, was there a weakness to something we just missed? Um, 
I think that's something that is something I'm more interested in than yeah, how did the Colorado space make its way to San Diego? Um, he continues. I think that things that aren't explicit in the plot are are as specific as they were supposed to be versus missing a game mechanic is an oversight on my part. Anyway, cheers, BSers. Hope to see you again at Game Hole. And you will see us there. Absolutely, Laramie. So, Laramie, I think that's interesting. Um, the story component, you're, it sounds like you're willing to say, yeah, okay, story, hand-wavy, perhaps. Like, yeah, we, we don't know how the Colorado space, it's a Lovecraftian thing, um, made its way to San Diego or why the bad guy had a certain thing but a mechanical component that you're like was there something i missed you know we were just wailing away on this animated statue why couldn't we defeat it that's um that's an interesting um divider between those two do you think anything about that sean what do you it makes that makes me think i'm i might be in the same camp as laramie i don't know i get the concern but whether i would be told or tell anybody i don't know I don't know either. I, I could see wanting to know. Like, well, man, we fought that shadow dragon for like 10 rounds. Were we just idiots? Should we have done something different? You know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't an on-off switch. I don't know. Wh- who knows? Did All you right. try it? Let's find an on-off switch. So You can't find one. Oh, there must not be one. All right, so I'm going to totally digress before we get into Lewis uh, H's email. So at the game I ran for my son and his buddies, um they find these potions. They were able to identify one of the four, two were healing potions and two were poison. So in the process, I was goading AJ, my son on at one point during a very nasty combat. Maybe you should try one of those potions you have. (laughs) And he refused because he's smart. and He knows his old man. But another point, another character had a potion of demution, a shrinking potion, basically that would make whatever was really, really small. I described the monster as taking the fighter and biting him in half, leaving only from like the waist down. That was it. Chomp, it ate him. And AJ's buddy Danny goes, he had that miniature potion on him. Would that affect the monster? I'm like, huh, I never thought of that. So next round, monster goes first. I roll a save. I roll a two. It just was that's for. I said, hang on a second. I said, so the monster is this huge, you know, roper looking thing is roaring and They said, is it really small? Yes. AJ goes, I step on it. And then, he, and then all the boys like fell out of their chairs just rolling in laughter because they thought it was the funniest goddamn thing on the planet. But <laughs> It's because they ate the, the dude with the potion? Because the monster ate the guy with the potion. Well, I'm like, yeah, yeah, why okay. not? What sure. the hell? Why not? Sorry. It just, <laughs> so that's for pretty, some reason. It's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Over to you, sir. Lewis's email. That's hilarious. Hello, BSers. First off, I want to second the motion for an episode about playtesting. Well, it's out there, Lewis. You might have regretted that. Uh, Having designed several games, both privately and professionally, the depth and degree to which a game should be tested and by whom, for whom, is a minefield for all game designers. I think it would be great to hear from you guys both in testing other games and about Brett's journey and testing his own. Brett, have you tested your own? We did, and I think I... um Lewis, if you've listened to that episode, I, I think we may have failed you. Lower <laughs> the expectations, dude, just a yeah. little bit. Just or, little bit. or um, better yet, write us back. Show us where we where we went amiss, <laughs> and I will be happy to. You guys missed like the five most important points. Yeah, we will be happy to redo that at any given point. Anyway, yeah. carry on, Sean. That's how we get to another episode. Uh, now about last week's episode. 
Uh, there is nothing I hate more than when a game, TV show, book, or movie ends and things are not tied up in a nice little package with a well-drawn bow. To me, this is the true art of game mastering, to craft a story slash environment where things come together as exhibits of a larger picture. Now, I will grant you, there are some situations where an unknown is actually part of the conventions of the game being played. Horror stories, as you mentioned, some science fiction where characters are dealing with an alien technology, the workings of magical items slash powers. But the reason an NPC is doing something, the presence of certain items or monsters, even the ecology of living things commonly found in a game have to make sense for me, lest the immersive experience gets ruined. How many old school modules, and I collect them, so I'm not a total hater, have you played in where there's a room with an owlbear in it? three levels down in a dungeon that required the players to pass through two death traps and swim down an underwater passage to get to WTF. How the hell did the owlbear get there? What does it survive off of? If someone wanted it there, how did they get it through all those tangles of passageways? I know we can postulate answers, but it is also, it is so much more satisfying as both a player and GM to see this owlbear in a situation that makes sense for it that has evidence strewn about of what it has been eating and how it has been surviving. Yes, it is possible that the players will run into a mauled victim of the owlbear and then never enter the room with the monster itself, leaving to some unsolved mysteries, but a not-so-random encounter or some epilogging can take care of that. On that note, I think random encounters are rarely well done because of all the, quote, things you can't know, end quote, that are brought up by them. If this dungeon has a carrion crawler, why is it cluttered with ancient ruins and skeletal remains? Also, I understand using crowdsourced ideas when they solve a problem you didn't know you had or make for a slicker explanation than what was originally conceived. But relying on this or shrugging things off to it seems like lazy GMing. Hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Come on, man. No, strong. It's a strong. It's a strong position, yeah, and no, I gotta say, it speaks to me a little bit. Keep yeah. going. Finally, I think epiloguing can be important to help the players share the richness of the story they participated in, but is often, most often, just a sign of game failure. As a GM, if the truths of the story can't be discovered naturally or unwound in response to the player's course of action, tacking it on the end sure kills the symphonic beauty the story would have had if the players had been the ones that put it together which I strongly, strongly agree. There's nothing worse than kind of having a fizzle at the end of the whole thing. Yeah, no, I, I've... Like, uh... We've talked, about, we've talked about, like, the anticlimax before, right? That end. Some of my group like that. Boy, that was a... That ending was terrible. We didn't figure out anything. We fucked up. We may have fucked up everything. That game was awesome. That's few and far between, people. Yeah, <laughs> There's true. not many gamers who like that that I have met. Anyway, carry on. Well, there it is, a big old rant against having too much unknown in an RPG, or specifically going to in to run a game knowing that it will be there. Have a great week, Lewis. Yeah? Interesting points. This is... I agree well, with them, like, a lot of those points. I, I would not want to use the unknown too much because of these reasons i think as i say i, I listen to some yes 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 and i think in my head man lenny and alpha wouldn't care beta would love it if i did this thing 
you know, but that's my group. I know those folks. And we've talked about this before. And some of it's the session zero or the session, you know, 0.01 or whatever you want to say. But if you know who you have in the group and what they enjoy, you can get away with certain things. Um, however, assuming that everybody who sits down at your table has the same likes and dislikes before you've gotten to know them can be a little rough. So this concept of what the unknown is and um, kind of epilogging and so forth might be an interesting piece that goes into your, hey, this is how I game master. This is what I like to do. Because let's say I did like to do that stuff. And I told that to Lewis and he'd be like, eh, thanks, but no thanks, Brett. That's not my style. He'd be much better served to not play or at least go into it knowing that he that that's going to happen to him versus... Uh, what the fuck do you mean? That's <laughs> this is just a big unknown. You're not going to tell me what went on. But then it really wouldn't be unknown. Oh, don't don't don't. Oh, uh, I think I, I think I realized the catch here. You may have. It's Whoa, unknown, it's unknownception. All <laughs> right, let's see here. What have we got? Monger P emails us. Hey guys, thanks for reading this on your podcast. I really like mystery books and movies, so I thought I would give a short. Uh, excuse me. Thought I would give a shot of trying to play a gumshoe RPG. Which one would you suggest for first-time player? And which one would you not suggest to try because they're too hard for a first-time player? Is there any reference material I should look at? Any cheat guides, GM screens I should download? All right, before I go any further, Monger, I would say this. I would say um, Knights Black Agents has a lot of crunch to it compared to many of the other gumshoe games. Trail of Cthulhu, if you like horror tied into your mystery... Um, that would be a very good one. Trail of Cthulhu does not have a lot of heavy rules and so forth. If you go to the Pelgrane website, you will find lots of different downloads, reference, easy reference stuff, and so forth. There's plenty of things out there. Hell, even Drive Through RPG, I think, has some quick start stuff you can pick up. Fear itself, um, Esoterrorists, they're very small, contained gumshoe games. They have a lot of. Um, uh, supernatural and some horror component. They both are very horror focused. Another good one could be um, da, 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 Mutant City Blues, which is um, super uh, investigating superheroes and so forth. However, I would say Trail of Cthulhu. One I love. I love me some Cthulhu um, or Esoterrorists because they're the books are not that heavy. Esoterrorists is, is thinner, just from a simple reading it. How fast can you grok it? Perspective. Not that complicated and um, pretty darn simple. You don't have a lot of the uh, the crunch, the cherries, the different components that are in um, the uh, Knights Black Agents version. So that's my two cents. Anyway, <clears throat> carrying on. I should start off by saying I have been playing RPGs often, off and on from several years, both as a player and as, as GM. I mainly play rules light systems right now, but I've never touched the gumshoe system. So I want to get your guys' point, uh, your guys' point to you. I also uh, thought it might be a good idea for a show topic. If you've never played X system, I would suggest starting with dot dot dot. And here are the reasons why pros and cons for each system would be helpful. Your fellow gamer from the West Coast, Munger. You know, Munger, at the tail end there, you know, if you've never played X, how would you start? That's actually interesting because I think depending on your expertise, Sean, this could be an interesting topic because I've I flippantly told people in the past, well, just go buy the starters box set. And I know for someone who's a very seasoned RPG, they're like, really, the box set, the beginner's box set, that's what you want me to buy. 
you know, isn't that for people who've never played before? Um, never played anything before that is. So that's an interesting, interesting topic idea. We're gonna throw that one in the topic pit monger and see where that goes. Cool. Thank you, sir. Sean, over to you, sir. Monger, before I move on, I'll put a link in die roll at the end of the show notes that is a link to RPG Geek has a form that says Gumshoe System Guide for New Players. I don't think it's going to enlighten you very much. It'll go over the different games. Um, so it's not going to be, oh, this is Gumshoe and how it works, and you'll really like it for this. And, oh, by the way, when you're running it, you'll want to keep this in mind. It's not that type of post. I think it just outlines the different games that take on the Gumshoe system mm-hmm. doesn't have bubble gum shoe i think so it's probably a little dated but it may get you in the right direction of some of the things that are out there i'll throw out the pilgrim press one too if you go to their main gum shoe page links and resources a summary of the gum shoe rule system what is your gum shoe size how to choose a gum shoe game that best suits you 101 for players gms 102 for gms yeah that's a good place. all sorts of good stuff so i'll throw that to you yeah most well. of that'll be out there most of like what you're referring to tends to come about on people's like blogs that have played it and then they'll go into like, there's a good one for Knights black agents. Like, Hey, to run a Knights black agents game, you got to read this, this blog because the person ran it and these were the shortcomings they ran into. And then they'll give it you advice to really crank up the mood quite a bit. So, and, and Palgren, the publisher may not put stuff like that out there. So actually they they do throw some but it's there's you can never catch it all. You can never right. catch it all. There's so much going on out there. Anyway, those links will be down there for you, man. Matt Veged Ved oh, Matt Vogtley Vegli Matt V. <laughs> there we go. There we are. Episode two twenty nine. Matt's commented uh plenty of times on our blog or on our website. Things you cannot know, he says on tactical gaming. So he kinda some sums up a few here. In tactical gaming, some games are really designed to be ran on a battle map. Yes, I agree. I love battle maps and really think they add a lot to the games they're meant for, such as Pathfinder, Savage Worlds, and 3rd and 4th edition. I'd even argue 5th edition is built for a battle map, but they added some aspects that make Theater of the Mind much more practical. I'm not saying you're running those wrong if you don't use maps, but you're really limiting your players' builds, yourself, and mechanics. And I would argue they run much faster than Theater of the Mind unless you are hand-waving quite a few rules. Giving out details and the like and aligning those details with each player's images in their head can be difficult. Agreed. If you're getting crazy with details, however, they can take much longer. I remember in map tools when I used to add all the line of sight barriers so players could only see and interact with what their minis could see. Now that was time-consuming, but I don't do it anymore. Systems that focus on theater of the mind could do a great job and like more uh, like more tactical games would get bogged down by maps. If you have more abstract mechanics, it's easy to hand wave certain things and use the tactics that are meant for that particular system. However, I've noticed many systems that could really benefit from full theater of the mind have been incorporating a hybrid using zones or range bands. Um, Personally, I find range bands obtuse and not not helpful, but have been very interested by zones. These, there are several neat mechanics you can use with zones while still keeping much of the theater of the mind benefits. Playing aspects into zones, entangling uh, wall spells to separate zones, 
Lots I could think of real quick, though very tactical gamers may not like it as much. I find it a very helpful hybrid without the bookkeeping of maps and without the clutter of keeping the scene organized in your head. You know, one of the things that he brings that up, I played 5th edition, ran in Tomb of Annihilation on Saturday and ran in ran a pretty decent sized combat encounter. It wasn't a lot of baddies, but one of the things you get with a party of 10 player characters, that's how big the party is, mistake number one too many player characters yeah you just you don't you, you can't handle it you just yeah good enough i can't handle it i tried to kill <laughs> one and then he used revivify one of my characters revivified his ass and i'm like oh. so it that is, is it that, took is me that everything the, to kill him too like was God. that the picture of the uh, yes. up character sheet that was taped back together sean yeah my buddy jeff was all flustered and he was all just he what ha- so here i gotta digress for just a second and I'll get to what I was going to get at. He, who would I have uh, up against? Who is the uh, the lizard men? Not the lizard men. Um, help me out, Brad. Troglodytes, lizard no. men. No, no, no. What? Half lizard, half men. Oh, you're talking about Yon T? Yeah, Yon T. Snake men, men. Snake men, you're right. Yes. So I had him go up against some pretty bad Yon T and had kind of a double front going on. And I got his character down, just. Boom, blasted him down, made him unconscious. They took out my big bad, right? I had the big bad Yonti, and then I had one of his minions. They took out my big bad. Well, there's only one left, and his body was unconscious, making death saves. So I went up and grabbed him. Since he was, like, helpless, I just basically did an attack roll and constricted him, right? Crush. Well, he didn't crush him. He was going to hold him like, hey, man, back off. He's going to use him as a hostage in case he, you know, he was going to get his way out of there. So if people thought he was still alive, this is the thing here. This is kind of funny. Now, thinking back, if you were a player character, you'd think, oh, my God, he's dead. They're holding a dead. He's holding the, the, the baddies holding a dead body. So there is no value there. No. But because of metagaming, uh, there is value. Yeah. <laughs> so the funny thing is, is when you let metagaming happen oh don't don't let him kill the body i can't revivify him if he crushes he, the body in a bulb he could kill or whatever he could, he could kill him so he's like back back up like i'm taking this guy away and of course he knows he's doomed he's not going to get away so he he just he's down to two death saves he's failed and two he has made okay so all I have to do is really just attack him and, and apply dead. any damage and he's dead. Well, yes. he goes he goes before the baddie. Oh, those bastards. <laughs> so he has to make his death save, his last one. And he failed. I'm like, oh, he's dead. I didn't even have to do anything. He just failed his death save. How, fr- how nice. So he was so mad. But Jeff, Jeff just did not want to be taken prisoner. He didn't care whatever happened. He just He didn't want his character to be taken prisoner. <clears throat> well, funny. at this point, he's dead because he gives a shit. Um, so the end of the combat, it's all done and all finished. We gave Jeff the hard time because in previous episodes, if you've gone back through the catalog, Jeff is the guy. He's my buddy of like 40 years. Threw his D&D, threw books, his in D&D books out into the snow. So, of course, on Saturday in Madison, after you're listening to this, um, two days ago, three days ago, it was pouring rain and it was water everywhere and ice. Yeah. And so we were like, hey, Jeff, you can't 
take your shit and throw it outside now, okay? Just don't do it, man. It's just not worth it. <laughs> poke, poke, poke. And we razz friends the, do. And we razz the shit out of them because, of course, we had Andy at the table who doesn't know this story. And, of course, we have to embellish and, you know, blah, 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 and tell him about the story of 14-year-old Jeff throwing his books out into the snow because he's one of his awesome characters died. died. Yeah. So anyways, he he ripped he ripped it up himself. I'm like, ah, oh, you didn't even give me the satisfaction. So my buddy Joe's like, revivify. I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Read that spell out loud. And he reads it. I'm like, son of a bitch. So he digs the character out of the garbage can. Tape, tape, tape. And he tapes up the character sheet. And I go, he took a picture of it. I think he put it up on Facebook. Oh, yeah, I, I saw it. I saw it. You posted I, it on Twitter I took, and stuff. Yeah, I took a picture and put it on Twitter. And I said, all the whole combat, two hours worth, whatever, finally nailed down one of the player characters, revivify. And there's the reconstructed character sheet with pieces of tape. I go, that's what your character looks like. <laughs> it just looks like it looks like your monster character sheet. So what does that have to do with zones and such in theater mind, man? Well, because with 10 player characters running a combat and going, okay, well, how far am I away? How far am I away? How far am I away? Literally, I think I have to draw on a sheet a big circle and just go doop do doop do do and start uh, putting people in those zones. So 30, 60, 90, 120, you know, 150. This concept of zones that he's talking about, and we're not done with your email yet, Matt, so hold tight. But when Matt mentions zones versus um, range bands, um, range bands, okay, yeah, I get that, you know, long, short, you know, 30 to 40 feet, blah, blah, blah. But the the zones I'd not thought of, I don't know a game that specifically calls them zones, so I'm trying to figure out if I have a game that does this. I'm positive I do. I just can't Fantasy Flight Games, Star Wars uses them. Does it? Okay. Well, it's not zones. It's short, medium, long. Melee. Yeah. So it's like engaged, short, medium, long. Oh, you're in the short zone. You're in the short zone. Well, it's not zone. It's just you're at short range. So it's well, it's a range zone, band. A, is that a range band versus a zone? He's calling Matt's calling him two different things. Well, zones versus range bands. I'm curious. I don't, I need Matt when we're done with this thing. If you could send, well, it's got to be equivalent to a distance of some kind. You I don't know. I just I want to know what game he's talking about because I don't know. Can't have zone one and zone two be the same distance. No, otherwise just called zone one. True or whatever zone. I don't two. know. I, I I want more. I want more info. This sounds interesting. But anyway, going back, like I think a six player game and theater of the mind in 5e yeah you're at 120 feet you're gonna have to make a move okay you move okay now you're at 30 feet big bad moves up 30 feet now you're at 30 feet not 60 like keep a track of that stuff for me is somewhat easy but players man they lose their crap and you got 10 characters that's a lot of characters man. they're just like how far am i away i'm like dude i just told you like it sold you right there. Yeah. Shut down. Yeah, they're, but I don't blame them. But it can get crazy. Okay, where did I leave off? <sighs> Man, where did I read off? Man. Um, I got you. Okay. However, all right. I've noticed many systems that could really benefit from full theater of the mind and have been incorporating hybrid using zones, range bands. Did I just read that? Nope. Keep going. Keep going. All right. Uh, personally, I find oh, yeah, range... you did read this. Yeah, Never I read mind. That. You, okay. did. you did. Rewind the tape. I'm Next actually one. pretty sure I'm going to end up going with zones for my fantasy heartbreaker, though I'm still reading up on different ways systems handle this. As a matter of fact, I'd really, it really help me out if you do an episode on tactical combat map versus zones versus range bands versus theater of the mind to help me out. 
Okay, thanks in advance. And minis can be cheap. When I started gaming in second edition, we bought one map and used the Legos we had. To this day, I still only own like three minis, though I have friends with armies. I'm never strict on what I use and actually just use board game pieces most of the time. On things you cannot know, I have only ever ran one horror campaign and only run mystery as an aside, not a main theme. I will usually always tell the players about what's going on. My main group will usually hang out after a season, what's that? season, after a session, and we may discuss what happened, especially if something was missed. Often this helps me as a GM because they can tell me they missed clue XYZ or they really didn't understand ABC when I explained it. Helps me hone my craft, in my opinion. If a GM doesn't want to reveal, though, I'm not going to throw a fit. But almost everyone I've gamed with has been pretty easy with that flow of information. Of course, this assumes the information may not still be relevant later. So he's talking about the reveal because it's not going to be relevant later. It's like killing the beastie and go, oh, if you just kind of did this. Oh, if only you just fire it, it had been over in a minute. Oh, <gasps> oh. As opposed to telling them that the Hounds of Tindalos, if you put them in a circle. Oh, uh, oh, session uh, one in. Good to know. Write that down. Right, right, right. There you go. Yeah. Good stuff, Matt, as always. Thank you so much. Well, and uh, range bands and stuff. I'm sure Brett's jotting that down. I am. Here's a new topic. Okay. It is. Randy Nichols emailed us about tactical in RPGs. Uh, hey, guys, just caught up. Yes, I started episode one last June. Good man, Randy. Good man. I appreciate that. Uh, I am now fully caught up. Anyway, I wanted to comment a few things in regards to your tacticals in RPG episode. I think you guys would in- both enjoy 13th Age, 3rd to 4th edition mashup combo by Jonathan Tweet and Rob Heinzo, co-creators of 3rd and 4th edition D&D, respectively. Some of the mechanics I think you guys would enjoy are the following. He uses engaged nearby and far away as combat distances. It has a bunch of indie RPG-related components, encouraging heavy roleplay. It is great for improvisation off-the-cuff GMing. Brett would likely dig this part of it. Um, I had 13th Age hardcover signed, really cool pre-order edition. Randy, I gave it away because I didn't like it. Did you, did you read it I, or did you just give it away because oh, you read it. got to it? No, read it. Oh. I read it in the system like, wow, this is really cool. I don't care about the world or the way that this, the different component, the, um, um, gosh, shit, I can't remember the term for it, but is there too much rules that are tied into the world? It felt like rules tied to the world. I'm like, ah, uh, ah, ah, I just, I did not get into it. That said, the main reason I gave it away was two, well, two reasons. One, Austin, Kem Thulu's uh, son, right. was a yeah. hu- is a huge 13th Age fan. He did not get in on this. I'm like, dude, here you go. I still have the PDF. I'm like, I got the PDF. I'm cool. And I also did not have anybody to run it for. None of my group or anybody I was gaming with at the time was at all interested in trying it. So I've yet to be able to either get in on a game or run it for anybody who's interested. So <clears throat> that said, I figured, you know what? I got a guy, cool gamer. Austin really digs this. I'm going to give it to him. And two, if I get back into it, I'll just go buy another copy. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I haven't read it. I have. I think I have the PDF. Randy continues. There are plenty of other pieces, but I, ju- but I would encourage you to get the book and give it a read. It's also great for stealing pieces for your D&D games, no matter the edition. I would also lean towards Sean's side when it comes to D&D 3rd edition. Three acts, we can call it. Sorry. No problem, no problem. Sorry, the audience just chimed in there. Thank you, audience. Hard not to. 
I think the slog is real, and I believe what Sean was trying to say about being prepared tactically to face the players is along the lines of an arms race. In reality, the players have four to six minds versus your one. So advantage players, at least tactically. Or play with really stupid players. Don't, don't. <gasps> uh, I've been doing it wrong all <laughs> these years. Don't, don't play with such smart people. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta Now i got to add different questions to my, it's my, way easier my to survey. Outs- it's way easier to outsmart 12-year-old boys. I'm just telling, I'm just laying it out there for you. Can, I can out-tactic the shit out of those kids. It's easy. Can you read this? No? <laughs> Good. Good to go. Anyway. Oh, carrying on here. For several years, we ran a Pathfinder game that encouraged players to create the most maxed out by the book PC they could. Well, the game was great fun, off and on for several years. After a while, it got just too much. It became difficult to anticipate the PC's abilities and player skills with all the splat books in play, all the official ones, that is. We found the biggest problem was that a table of players with differing degrees of system mastery caused the combats to be pretty crazy. Read swingy. With low-skilled, non-min-maxed PCs always being in danger of getting trounced by the appropriate challenge from the high-skilled, maxed-out PCs. And if the GM created a challenge for the low-end PCs, then the high-end PCs simply smoked it. Now, I'm not saying everyone will experience this with 3X Pathfinder, but... um, but that I did, and Sean grew tired of, of the effort it took to build challenges for the PCs. I'm nearly 52 and need my games to be ready to roll out straight out of the box without having to tweak things too much to make reasonable challenges for my PCs. That's one of the main reasons I tend to run games like 13th Age, 5e, D&D, and Savage Worlds. Thanks so much for an entertaining show, and uh, here's to wishing you 200-plus more episodes. Randy Nichols, Michigander. He's a deep displaced Hoosier. Ah, Randy. Thanks, Randy, man. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to take a pause real quick before we go on to uh, turn you over on Mark Rothberg's. But one of the cool things I really appreciate about our audience and uh, everyone who interacts in our community is I do not recall a serious, you're doing it wrong. You're full of shit. You're no. stupid. Everybody has yeah. been very, very polite, understanding. They've stated positions and then their best to caveat saying, look, this is what I like and this is why I like it. Your mileage may vary. I think Brett's and been I- the strongest <clears throat> opinion for some other ones. <laughs> like he, like that should be our show's mantra and Brett's already crossed that line. Yeah, I have a couple times. Can't help it. <laughs> hey, when I'm right, I'm right. Hey, so do do as you do. Not as Brett listener, does. <laughs> not, not as Brett leads on to do. Or Sean, I think there's a couple. Ah, uh, yeah, there. I've, I've probably spoken up maybe a little bit more forceful than others. I don't know. I That's, haven't bashed a game though, have I? I don't think so. Have I, I bashed a game? Have I gone after a game? Well, you have some stronger opinions, I think, than I do. Yeah, I do. I do indeed. Anyway, over to Marks. Your turn, sir. Yeah, but uh, Brett does bring up a good point. I don't want to belittle that. A lot of people are very doesn't work for me. This is how I do it. You know, whatever. Um, this is why I like this game. Tot- like very awesome approach. Yes. Um, Mark Rothenberg about the unexplainable. Dear Brett and Sean, long time listener, first time emailer. <laughs> All right, Mark. We'll be gentle with you. <laughs> At least I will. My brother and I have been running con events for about 15 years, mostly Call of Cthulhu with our group. That's that's some chops there. Damn. The I'm sorry, I didn't finish. Mostly Call of Cthulhu with our group, the MU Skulls. Miskatonic University Skulls. Very nice. We write our own material, and typically my brother and I collaborate on our scenarios. One principle we decided early on was not to explain everything. Hey, 
McNabb. Hell, some would say we don't explain anything. Hey, nice. Like that. We call it. We call it the "It's Cthulhu" principle. Yeah. See, that's the box. Like, yeah, hey, no, this that, is the deal. I talked about that in that episode. You know, there's. It's part of that whole genre, that piece. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. The reason the cult collects teeth of toddlers? It's Cthulhu. Why does old Mr. Addis have a garden of rotten tomatoes that seems to shiver when you walk by? It's Cthulhu. The rule can't explain away a major plot point, such as what that toddler teeth collecting cult's ultimate goal, or why Mr. Addis is summoning the spirit of his grandfather, Clive. Those big issues should should and need to be explained. But the it's Cthulhu rule allows for heavy weirdness and keeps the players entertained and wondering. If they spend 15 minutes trying to figure out the tomatoes, as long as they have fun, that's awesome. If it's not a COC thing, it works great in almost any setting. Sci-fi. Why does that light flash in a particular pattern? Or fantasy. Why does the statue of a hound seem to weep? Typically, we don't use the It's Cthulhu rule on ongoing campaigns because we find those players to want all the answers wrapped up in a nice package. At a con, when the game is over and a player asks me about the tomatoes, I can just say, It's Cthulhu! And that satisfies them even more. It The It's Cthulhu rule does two things. One, it brings the weird and mysterious on board even more for people who came to see the weird. Two, it actually makes the writing of the scenario much easier and gives me, the GM, a ton of more tools making improvisation and player interaction a piece of cake. Memento Mori, Mark Rothenberg. Nice. Yeah, I'm, dude, totally down. And that is the game. Like, yeah. if there's any game that's out there that's like, just because that that's Call of Cthulhu all the way. Well, it's, it's we. I tried to get at it last time. It's that genre emulation. It's like, what is this game about? This game is about this type of thing. Elder bizarre craziness that you cannot comprehend or understand. Well, guess what? It's Cthulhu. Totally, it totally fucking works. Rock and roll it. I would say in certain cases, you know, even in uh, you read Dungeon Crawl Classics, DCC, the, the charts and so forth, it's DCC. When right. you're playing it and you're in one of their modules and there is a human-sized hairless cat that vomits on you and causes damage, it's Dungeon Crawl Classics. Right. It's to be expected that this is the thing. Yeah, yeah. that's good stuff. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, that is good stuff. And thanks for writing in, Mark. Thanks yeah, for not, not being bashful and holding back. Just write in, man. It's cool. Good, good stuff. All right, what do we got? An email from Joe B. First off, I want to thank you guys. Almost every recent topic you've done has resonated with me. It started a few episodes back with uh, with you just do it advice to a new GM and encouraged me to break out a campaign I worked on for about a year ago and got and got discouraged due to my lack of experience. Inter yes, absolutely. Joe, here's to you, man. That's awesome. Yeah, way to go, Joe, man. It, it's gutsy to do it, and uh, I'm proud of you, man. That's cool. Interestingly, he says, it was a waterborne adventure in a low magic setting. Well, the slogan for the game, Desolation, is high fantasy brought low. I'll try to keep my gushing about the game to minimum. I really like the way they handle a lack of level level and class system. Experience points are earned each session and can be spent on skills, abilities, and talents to improve your character. There are no real restrictions to what you can do, barring a couple of talent requiring prerequisites. 
This somewhat ties into the low magic conversation regarding multiclassing to get a result. I know it doesn't much help for the conversation more about mainstream systems, though. Magic is entirely freeform. You say what you want to do with your traditional limits. The GM sets the DC, and it happens. Or it doesn't. Or it does, and you wish it hadn't. <laughs> the heart of the setting is a cataclysmic event in which magic turns on the world. Before the Night of Fire, magic is second nature and has little consequence for the caster. During the Night of Fire, casting has a wildly random effect, similar to 5e Sorcerer, except every time you cast. And in the after, it's even more likely that magic will do more harm than good. As long as you can roll enough dice to cast a spell, you can attempt it. Everything is rolled in a dice pool equal to your skill level. Odds being <clears throat> odds being fail, even is success. In the before, you only take damage if you have uh, more failure than success. In the after, you take burn damage for each failure. Back to the campaign. We were starting on a chain of islands and playing through some naval combat in a likelihood of underwater tasks as well. The cataclysm will happen pretty much at the climax of the campaign, leaving a cliffhanger a couple of sessions later for if they want to continue playing post-apocalypse. Holy cow, dude. Another topic you guys have covered, game balance, has struck me, <clears throat> as there really is none in my system slash setting of choice. They have rough approximations of how much a group can survive, but ultimately narrative takes priority. Experience is awarded for what was accomplished during a session. Not dying is a good start. <laughs> for one of my players that they will not be able to cut their way through every encounter. As far as a book suggestion, I've been listening to a podcast that summarizes the romance of the Three Kingdoms novel. I know it's not technically reading, but I wanted to dig into this book for a long time now. It's given me some good ideas for political intrigue for my game. Also, one of the main races of this region in the Desolation setting is heavily based on Asiatic cultures. Yet another coincidence pushing me to run this game. But the but the book that's probably inspired me the most is Villains by Necessity. The book has changed the way I think about every character, not just the big bad. Anyway, I'll stop for now. I'm excited to see the list of must-reads. Thank you for inspiring me, Joe B. You're welcome, Joe. That's awesome. Yeah, and it was in you the whole time, Joe. Totally was. Oh, this It sounds like your crew is having fun. And, dude, the shit you just listed out there, you know, cataclysms, cliffhangers, that's cool stuff, man. That is cool stuff. And I would encourage you, as I know Sean would too, try that stuff. And, you know, if you try it, you go, boy, that didn't work out quite as dramatically as I thought it would. Who cares? Try it again later, man. Keep rolling. That is awesome. Right. Sean, Sean, how are we doing with that list of books? We we got that one posted yet? <laughs> no, I haven't even gotten back to it. I know it's on Twitter. I'll just have to pull it up and put it together. And Damn right you do. Put it every put it out there for everybody to download. I guess. Don't make don't make me bring it up every every episode. I know, right? All right, all right. Last last one. Email from Tony Baker. I would say Sugarloaf, but I don't know. Now I think he's known as the King of Swing. I don't, this guy. We'll see. Jeez. Gets that Harley Davidson, and it's just crazy. <laughs> Greetings, Mr. Gaming and Mr. BS. Hey, I like that. 2.30, playtesting. I have been playtesting my RPG for the last four or five years. My strategy has been small, iterative changes and a lot of patience. Even relatively small changes to mechanics need to be tested. And just like battle, it won't survive first contact with the enemy. The players har-har. I believe Sean mentioned written feedback asking specific questions, and that is often the only way to get valid feedback. When you ask for feedback, everyone feels like they should give you some regardless of how strongly or more commonly not strongly they feel about it. So ultimately, playtesting is a great tool, but can lead you down the wrong path if you present it to the wrong audience. That's great, Tony. Four or five years, man. Don't let that, don't get hung up. No, don't. At a certain point. You got to launch. You got to go. You got to make her happy. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be 100%. 229, the X-Files. 
My strategy as a GM is always to try to build a world setting scenario that continues regardless of the players. Too many games play like a video game with the bandits peacefully waiting in their camp for the players to arrive. In my game, if you don't go deal with the bandits, they will continue burning everything down. This same thing applies to the unknowable. Just because the players don't know what or why something is happening doesn't mean it waits for them to figure it out, especially in a Call of Cthulhu-esque game or setting where the players are essentially ants playing in the sphere of gods. The great old ones don't care about humanity to even allow them to enter into consideration. That being said, like a Bond, excuse me, like a Bond villain, I must share all of my evil machinations once it is over. 228 Tactics Personally, I enjoy running and playing both tactical and non-tactical RPGs. I have a tactical mind and a good memory, so remembering rules and strategies is easy for me. Some other players and GMs have different strengths. You called out that some players try to tell others how to move. I am one of those players' GMs. I do it from both sides. I do this because others often forget rules slash options that they have available. However, there is a fine line between a suggestion and a command. I think it is best to remind players of possibly better options, but it is their turn and their decision, so if they don't do it, that is fine. Despite what some players think, you cannot win D&D, but you can have a shitty time. With kind regards, Tony, the King of Swing, Baker. There was a PS, but it didn't come through, Tony. Huh. I think he was like, PS, and then he did <laughs> what he was going to type. <laughs> PS, go to hell, guys. Yes, I'll tell you what, you, a, a statement you have there, Tony, the fine line between suggestion, a suggestion and a command, I think that is key. Um, it's the same in my line of work or in Sean's line of work when you're managing people or trying to get things in the business world, quite often it's a suggestion versus a command. Sometimes uh, command is required, and oftentimes, especially when you're working together in a cooperative environment like this, suggestions are the best. And I think it's it's tone how you present yourself, and then always making sure that the that the player can make whatever decision they want. At the end, you know, right? That's good stuff. It is good stuff. Are you ready? I think so. We got, well, shit, dude, we are almost all, 50 minutes all, in. This could be are. a big one. We're in 50 minutes. Yeah, main topic, I guess, huh? Let's do it. All right, Brett. Let's see if we can bust through this sucker here. So do GMs make good players? No. And, no? Okay, moving on. That was easy. All right, die roll. Die roll. On a die roll. <laughs> okay, no, just kidding. I know. Yes, they do. Hey, hey we're done. And I'm pretty roll. sure this came out of uh, Sean at Evercon asking some of my players <laughs> whether or not. I did not have ample time to prepare the way I wanted to prepare. <laughs> Anyway, so Sean, if what's your gut reaction to this to that question? I mean, <laughs> uh, your honest one. If you say, "Hey, do do GMs?" I mean, if you game master a lot or quite often, do GMs naturally make good players? Do you think so? Oh, I don't know about answering that question. You don't have a gut reaction? Well, we've got a lot of GMs out there, and if I say no, GMs make terrible players, then I'm insulting all the GMs that are out there, which is not not the, necessarily the case. But then if I say Oh no, game masters are awesome players. I would be a freaking liar. So I want to go back and say it depends. Uh, it depends on there who we go. It depends That's on it. It depends on whether you have Brett in your group. Oh, oh, hey, oh! I didn't uh, say if it was good or bad. 
He just got mad when I sat on the ship because I, I <laughs> saw it coming that you were going to try to take the ship. And I'm like, fuck you. You're not taking my ship. Brett. Hilarious. <laughs> I right, was so, trying to control the situation. And if he so, couldn't control the situation, he wanted to stay on the ship because he could remain, he could be in control there. So let's talk about this. So here's the thing. <laughs> and I, I actually thought about this. I was ready to go yesterday, but Sean was sick. So here's the deal. When you when I transition from game master to player, there are certain things that from a game master's mindset that I think I need to pull out of my toolbox. I need to not bring those things to the table. And one of them is if I believe that I can plainly see what the game master is doing, thwarting them on purpose. Uh. Because when I see something, I'm like, this would be stupid to leave the spaceship so Sean can take it and strand us on this fucking planet. I'm not doing that. Oh. So... When so I what you did was stay on the spaceship. Yeah. So you thwarting. Take, yes. Oh, see, I would. I just. Uh, no, I, just, I was. I. I did it because I'm like, this is my character. I don't want to leave the ship. I want to protect this thing. We landed on a planet, and I'm like, I'm not leaving because this is what's going to happen. So I misheard you because you made it sound like if I knew what the game master was about to do, and I see that, I will not do it to thwart what he or she would want to present. But you're saying I would thwart it because I can see it coming. It it happens to me. Yeah. Because if I... So here's the thing. If I can see it coming, it bores the shit out of me. I'm like, oh, that thing? That's boring. I, I know that thing, so I'm going to make it interesting. I'm not Wait, leaving the ship. You're assuming I would have had somebody steal the ship. We had sensors that indicated there were other people on the planet. Yeah, but it's Star Wars, man. How many people are just I, like, I'm hey, just, I'm, I'm going to steal your ship? Uh, yeah, I, I was... I was 90% positive. So, you, okay. So, here's, it, it is a bad habit. It's a bad habit that I, and I've seen other Game Masters do this. You, Sean, are actually one of the few Game Masters that I run for. You and Kevin. And Tom Flanagan's really good at so this, So, I play too. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> when no, Brett, seriously. When if, Brett if you, runs, I'm like, do-do-do-do-do. Okay. You do not, advertently, even like advertently or inadvertently, thwart what's going on. <laughs> because you do a thing that game masters should do when they come to the table. It's like, oh, that's a plot hook. I'm going to swallow that. Yeah, sure. This is really cool. I'm in. Yeah. I've gotten better at that but, oh, over oh, the years. Oh, okay. And since then, that's actually bothered me. Where I'm like, that was, why did I do that? Bothered, how, what, what has bothered you? Not giving in? Not giving in. Like, why, uh, why did I not leave the ship? That was kind of dumb. I see. I should have done this. So, so here's the thing, though. I think one of the things that I, even just game mastery, I just not every has everything has to be a trap. Not everything has to be like. I think that's people start getting into a Brett mode, right? I'm going to stay well, on the start, ship because I start, then second, I start second guessing. I right. went old school AD and D. Yeah. High school Brett that's like, oh, I know what this is. It's a right. fucking trap. Right. Screw you, 10-foot pole. I tie the thief on the end of the pole. I swab the dungeon. Yeah, good luck finding a trap on me, motherfucker. Right. Yeah, that's that's what I did because it's a it's a natural reaction that I have. When I see something, I'm like, oh, I know this trope. I know that one. I know this one. Oh, I've done this. I've done that. Oh, I see that coming. Nope. 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 Not Brett. Which is a dick move. I should yeah. never, never do that. Wow, I didn't even have to call JR and Zave. No, you didn't. Oh, you would have sucked the wind right out of their sails. <laughs> I would have went into like a half hour of voice clips and it would all have been like 
oh, this sucks. <laughs> Brett's on the air talking about all of it. Damn it. So one of the things that I've I learned from that experience was I watched you and Kevin and other game masters that I run with that I run for. I'm like, they just dive in. That's well, the good part about the game master is the game master knows what all that shit is. They go, wow, this is where Sean's going. Brett should have just fucking gone because that's where the fun is, you dumbass. Yeah. So how but much I, fun did I you have it. sitting on the on the ship? Not as much as I should have. Yeah. See, that's and that was my fault. Well, there you go. It was. So yeah, I think as being a GM, I think if you give in to some of the cynicism or or tropes or predictability. You just have much more fun. Yeah, I mean, just go with it. We've talked about this before, and right. I think it's in. I think it's a critical piece when you transition from game master to player. Is that um, you need to you need to get into it. You need to throw that piece out. Don't worry about that. But I can see this plot coming a mile away. Who fucking cares? Get in there and play. It'll yes. just make things more fun. Oh hell yeah! And you never know. That's right. You never really know. You could get halfway through, and there's and no, a twist, and nobody could show up at the ship. Yeah. <laughs> or, or you could get halfway through, and you're like, wow, based on these actions we did, I don't even want that fucking ship. I found a better ship on the other end of the planet. Duh. We need our pilot. He's not with us. We have another ship. We need to get out of here. I can't because a dumbass is back there in the other half of Alderaan, and there's a death ray of some sort going to hit it, I heard. That's right. Um, so, yeah, bad, 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 bad. <sighs> the other thing I think that we need to go, um, and, and part of this comes down to this isn't what I would do. One of the reasons I started game mastering was because I was very frustrated with people running games. You could do it better. I, they weren't doing it the way I wanted it to be done. It could be you could do better. I could do better. That's why we did this podcast. Yeah, I could maybe do this not really. Maybe no, I'm kidding. We don't. But know. I, I did. I seriously started really wanting to do it. One because I'm like I want to do this myself. I want to be in control of the story because I think it'd be way cooler if I could run the game and I could make sure that the things I thought would be really cool to happen would happen. So there are times when I'm when I have been in the past, a game master's running something, I'm like, and I do something as my player that inadvertently thwarts something because I'm expecting something that Brett thinks is cool to happen. And the game master looks at me like, I have no idea what you're doing. What what what's going on? I'm like, <laughs> Oh, you have to stop that. I can't I can't do that. And I do not do that anymore. I'm like, I'm in. I'm all the way in. I play games I don't like as far as things that aren't as much fun or like blah, blah, blah. And instead of instead of looking at saying, well, I wish this rule system was different. Oh, I wish this was better. If I was doing this, be like that. Fucking throw that shit out. Uh-huh. Stop thinking like that and say, this is the game. Let's play. I'm not a big Power of the Apocalypse guy. When I played Dungeon World with Chris and uh, Tom Flanagan and Kevin, I just fucking jumped in. I'm like, you know what? This game system, meh to me. I played um, Fate Accelerated. Tristan with the guys and meh did my best to jump in though, because let's have fun. Let's try it. I don't, I'm not tied to this. This isn't the only game I'm playing and it doesn't mean I have to play fate accelerated or power by the apocalypse for the rest of my life. It doesn't matter. Let's right. get in and play. So anyway, I think, and that is something I would expect from my players. I would expect my players to jump in and do this. I need to take that same thing as a game master to the fucking table. That's right. Brad. It's a, Cause it's a double standard. Otherwise, It's just stupid. <laughs> It is. It is totally like, hey, what are these guys doing? Like if you yeah, just expect if you were the if you were running a game for yourself, 
Yeah. How, how pissed off would you become? Yeah. Would I punch me right in the eye? Yes, yes, I would. <laughs> well, the other thing that I'll find, too, is that, you know, how do I... What do I say? How, how you do that, you know, some people do, like, I take copious notes. I just start taking tons and tons of notes. It keeps me focused on paying attention to what's happening, making down note, making down um, plots, plans, things, blah, 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 blah. Some of it just has no use, but I take copious notes because it helps me stay focused as my character because I try to take the notes as my character sees them. I will have, Sean will say, you know, Sir Smythe Longbottom. And someone will say, how do you spell Smythe? I'll be like, doesn't matter. And I'll just write it. However, my character would think it in my notes because it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're not publishing a book. No, I'm not publishing a book. It doesn't I always, matter. It's always kind of weird when people are like, how do you spell that? It's like, just pronounce it, put it down. Phonetically. You, doesn't phonetically, matter. yeah. Just write matter. it down. Because the yeah. thing is, if you smell it, smell it. If you spell it in the weird ass Forgotten Realmsian spelling, you won't remember that it's actually pronounced right. throw, throw Robler Mangrove. You just you won't remember that. Yeah, it doesn't you know. matter. The other piece, <laughs> speaking of the realms and in, in some of those things, is that. One of the pieces I stopped doing in my buddy Alpha when he was running a Ravenloft game, I caught myself doing it, and I purposely went, and this is the other reason I adopted my copious note-taking, was the insider knowledge, the monster manual knowledge. He would display a monster to us like, oh, I know what that is. Oh, Razorbat. Right. Oh, that's one of those. Oh, that's one of those. And the third time, Alpha, a very kind man yes. who didn't punch me in the eye, Looked across the screen at me, and I went, I have gone too far. I've made Alpha frustrated, which is really hard to do. Very difficult to do. I'm like, wow, if I'm doing that to him, that means everybody else at the table wants to strangle me. I need to stop doing that. So taking notes, instead, as my character, because I'm taking notes as character, I ask, does it fly? Does it? Would, it, would I think this is like a, a, a flying lamprey monster? Because of where I'm from, yes, says the game. It's perfect flying land prey monster. That's what I write in my notes. And I refer to it as that going forward. I don't refer to it as what it is. It's not a sturge. It's a huge, you know, snorkel-nosed bat monster. Because that's what I called it. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Tube, tube face, whatever. You know, that thing helps me stop doing that. But that's a piece that I have noted. Um, my son actually did that to me this last... We, last week, when I ran, I a monster pops out, described as massive humanoid with a hyena head, and he just, oh, I know what that is. I looked at him, and he went, but my character doesn't know what that is. <laughs> he put his head down. <laughs> his buddies Danny and, and uh, Aiden are like, what is it? What is it? He goes, I can't tell you. My character doesn't know. I've never seen this before. <laughs> if we if we live, if we, and AJ says, if we live, I'll tell you what it is. It's <laughs> funny. But that's a, another piece. So th- those are pieces I thought that I have had to learn over the last few years to stop fucking doing that because it's just a dick move. Yeah. Especially in Call of Cthulhu when they're supposed to be unknown in horrors and weird things. Ah, hooked horror. Oh, that that's a that's a Bayaki. Ah, hunting horror. Ah, star spawn. Ah, moon beast. Because <laughs> the keeper wants to just punch you in the eye because it's a dick thing. Sean, apart from me admitting these things is there anything <laughs> that you have learned to not do or not bring to the table as a game as a game master when you when you transition from gm to player anything you think hey stop doing that so i think that i'm not the best game master in the world 
And I think because I'm not the best game master in the world, I don't have a ton of baggage that I bring along with me when I become a player. Are you telling me I'm an arrogant game master? No, 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 no. Me, 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 me. I know. I'm te- it's all I'm about me right now. I know it is. I'm teasing right, you. Right. I'm teasing you. Um, so I think that's part of it. And when I play, I play a character. Like I, I create a character that I want to be interested in and has somewhat of a backstory or an accent or whatever. So I want to... I... I am hoping whoever is game mastering provides opportunities for me and the group. That's, that is really, that's really it. And that it doesn't get bogged down with something that's too, too boring, which I don't think happens with most of the folks that I game with. Like, and I, but it's very, I think they're depending on what game I'm in. There are times when it's very, there's a lot of games that I play that are very group. Right, like there's oh, okay. not yeah, yeah. there's not every doc's a great GM, but it's always a group, unless it's a s- certain situation where it's like, oh, I guess it's my turn to do this. But even then, it's still very groupy, right? It's okay. not not everybody's going to get every piece of spotlight, which is okay. So it makes it very uniform across okay. everybody. Like nobody's going to get slighted. But at the same time, when you're an attention hog like me, <laughs> do I want to do this podcast? Um, then it, it's not always there. Do you ever get bored with your characters where you're like, hey, I made this gnome, you know. Oh, yeah. Rock crusher and I'm bored of him halfway through. Can I kill him and make a new guy? Yeah, I'm usually the guy that doesn't care if my character dies. I have gotten there more so. I used to care a lot about them. And one of the failings that uh, Zave and Zave used to tell me, he goes, you just get bored too easy. Yeah. And I would. I would play this character. I'm like, okay, I've played um, Falcor the Fighter now for two sessions. Can I kill him? Because right. I'm bored. Can I make a new guy? Can I have five people? I cycle in and out. Can I do something different? Can well, I have? That's you from playing five or ten NPCs. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's the NPC itis, right? That you get. And you're like, oh, I get to when I'm bored. When I'm done with this, guess what? The new person is. You know, she's a hard charging such and such, and this is where she is. And yeah, I get to play her now. Oh, this is awesome. You know, she's good for a scene. Yeah. Then and she's in and out, and you're like, hey, right. this dude's great for a scene. Great and out. So I have learned now that I make characters that I'm like, I will enjoy this person for the long haul. And I talk to my game master, like Alpha and and Nick, or if I played with you again, to be like, hey, I'm going to develop stuff as we play. Yeah, or yeah, change. Change yeah, who so it is. Gonna, yeah. Or change it up. I look for opportunities to change my motivation. Right. My character in Nick's game right now, my, my 5e fighter, he's a grizzled old veteran. Lenny's guy is like the young punk. So I'm like, hey, come here, kid. This is how you survive, you know. Uh, old campaigner kind of attitude. It was all in it for the money. But things have changed, and I found I explicitly fought the fact that other people were changing before because I was all about the money. I was looking for a reason for my guy to change. Once I saw it, I jumped on it and went, aha, now I'm with the rest of the party. Yes, I'm no longer about the cash. But that became... That became a cool thing. Instead of, I wasn't thwarting them on purpose. I was like, look, I have, Max has no reason to not continue to think the way he is. Oh, yes, yeah, that's a good point. And it became very much more character focused. Basically, I, I guess for me, it's focusing on the character to what you what you do is bring the character to, to the table. It's like, look, I want to have fun with this guy or this girl, whoever it is I'm playing, this critter, and we're going to have a damn good time with it. And um, let's see what we can do. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I would say that from a game master perspective to bring to the table that you have in your toolkit that could be helpful 
is setting knowledge, right? If you know the Cthulhu mythos in a way or how it's supposed to be played, the genre, the feel is great. If you're playing a published setting like the Forgot Realms or Greyhawk as, uh, from a classic examples, and I know a lot about it. And the player's like, um, what's a, what's, ca what's Candlekeep? Oh, that's blah. What, what, what is, is Waterdeep bigger than, you know, the Dale lands? Is that, no, no, no. It's blah, 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 blah. That's, that's helpful. That can be good stuff. And when the game master looks at you and says, Hey, do you happen to know you could be that gamer who's got a cool piece and say, well, you know, by, by the book, it's this, this, and this. However, Sean, based on what you've been saying, I could see you easily changing that. Right. And sit back and wait for the magic to occur. And the same thing with the rules. Yeah. You know, if, if I know the rule about how sleep works in 5e and you as a new 5e game master don't, and you're like, well, he's going to, the bad guy will cast sleep. I go, are you aware of how sleep, if he does that, he could affect his own team because of where he's positioned, blah, blah, blah. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just happened to know that. You yeah, know. silent spell took effect this past weekend. Yeah. In my favor. <laughs> yeah, even my buddy Joe got a point of inspiration for pointing that out. It's because one of the guys was going to be like, hey, I cast a spell. Or is he right there? Yep. All right, then I cast a spell. And I'm like, okay. Joe's like, oh, silent spell. And I go, oh, hey, what's the verbal uh, or what's the uh, verbal component? The components of that spell, like uh, somatic, I, verbal, material. Yeah, yeah. He's like, verbal. And I'm like, yep. No go. Joe, you get a point of inspiration. But that's a good kind of that's the good kind of rules lawyer, right? Yeah. That that man or woman or that gamer at your table who says, "Hey, this whenever is, hey, whenever a player's in favor of the game master when I'm running, kudos, man. Kudos. Yeah, they're yeah. in my they're in my back pocket the whole way. They're exactly. gonna survive some craziness. Yeah, that's I could have see that's another thing I should have done. I could have yeah. got off the ship, sucked up to Sean a little bit, and I'd have survived while everyone else died. And I could have got a better ship. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I know. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely think that the other component is, you know, when you see a plot hook, take it, don't fight it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a big deal and encouraging the other players. And I, I think if I look up to, um, what Tony, the King of Swing Baker states, you know, suggest things to the game master, suggest things to the players, never command, don't demand, but say, Hey, blah, blah, blah. I've been that player now when I've seen certain things and the game master is going to do something and, and I look at them and say, Nick, I don't know if you know this, but I am completely engaged over here. If they, I, I, and I did a shit ton of damage to that shaman. It, I, I'm totally fine if you come up and blast and blast my guy. It, it makes sense because I could see Nick, well, do I attack you or the mage? Uh, I'm like, just so you know, I am the one who hit him for 50 points of damage last round. Good point, Brett. I hit you. I don't want to die, but hey, I'm just I'm just laying it out there. It's totally fine. You can you can go after me. <clears throat> and I think it's one of the pieces that we and I think you said it best, or you got me to say it too, is that how do I want my players to play together? I'm the game master. I can take that thing and bring it to the table. Like, hey, look, we should get along. Even if it's a kind of an eye for an eye game where where it's amber, it's very PvP, you're going back and forth. You know, a good way to do it because you know what good looks like on the, from the other side of the screen. You've seen good games. You've seen good things happen. Be that really cool player. Be that player who like, oh, I can always rely on Sean. If I throw that plot hook out there, he's going to help me take the party where he needs to go. Hey, if I give this to Kevin, it's gone. Hey, if I give this to Andy, 
she's going to take it and run with it. And then we're going to have a great story because I know her and she's an awesome gamer. And this is what we ought to do and um, be those people. And I think a lot of it is, again, throwing out all that. This is going to be a little bit of hyperbole, but yes, we know you're a smart game master. We do. We know you're good at it. We know, <laughs> you're, we know you know this stuff. Thanks, Brett. But now is not the time to wow me with your game master skills. True. Like, oh, yeah. No, I know what that monster is. That's a caterwaul. Did you know that they can sprint for... Oh, shut the fuck up. You know, be, you become the douchebag rules lawyer doing right. that. Don't be that person. Don't be that gamer. Don't be the one that thwarts the GM. Don't be the one that does those things. So I think to your... To your it, do, it depends. And it really does. A game master who realizes what to bring to the table and what to leave behind, right? You don't have to use every tool in your toolbox. You can still bring those tools with you, but don't have to use them all the time. Not just because you, you know, make sure you bring more than just a hammer. Because <laughs> if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So True that, double true. Anything else, man? No. I think we probably missed something there. I'm um, sure. I'm sure, like, um, there's other, there's some great players and game masters out there. Um, Edwin and uh, the, the Wynn brothers, and there's a lot of cool people. I'm just naming two gamers off the top of my head that I know are out there that that both play and GM plenty. If you if you gamers out there have ideas, thoughts, we miss something, throw it at us. Hit us up with that uh, email, voicemail, however, and uh, we'll talk about it. So, shall yes. we? Yes, Tyrol. Right. Die roll. 2d4 miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery you want to bring to your attention. Go ahead, Brett. Yep, so I just have the one. I've got the Pelgrane Press, the Gumshoe Insights. Um, there is a there's a page that they have. I've got a link out there for uh, folks to go to if you're at all interested in it. So that is there. And, of course, Sean's got his um, the RPG Geek one. But, Sean, what else have you got? you got some other goodies. Wizards of the Coast announces Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Did you hear about that, Brett? Yes, I did. Yeah. What do you think about that? Interesting. I have Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh and um, Danger of Dunwater. Danger. I think I do have Danger of Dunwater, the final enemy. Um, so it's kind of cool. I think it also has some of the ones from the uh, Dun- from Dungeon Magazine as well. It's a. It's a, this is funny. It's adventure on the high seas. Yeah, it's funny. I, and I uh, I saw a post on Twitter of one of the uh, ladies who had worked on it, and she was saying something like, "This is the thing she'd been working on since she'd started there." Really. Yeah. Wow. So kind of kind of cool. It's an adventure for levels one through twelve. It's another uh, another big one, and it's uh, it's just interesting. We talk about high seas adventures and my time with Avanti and such, and bam, here comes this sucker. So I'd like to say it's because of us, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure they had this one in the hopper long before we came around. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Second one review of Matt Colville's Strongholds and Followers by Jared Rasher on his blog. So if you know who Matt Colville is, big YouTuber, now has his own YouTube live, uh, YouTube uh, actual play. Yeah, he does uh, yeah. Twitch actual play. It also ends up on YouTube, and he still does yeah. his run-the-game videos and stuff. I'm a fan. I like yep. his stuff. So it was to. like the 10th largest gaming Kickstarter ever. Two-plus million dollars. Yeah. So um, he wrote a book, and now you can find out more about it if you want to buy it. See what Jared has to think about it. Uh, the third one, The Great American Novel, a role-playing game by Christopher Gray is now live on Kickstarter. It's actually funded, and it does 
and March 20th of 2019. So if you didn't get it during the Kickstarter, I'm sure it's going to be available on drive through But we got time. March 20th. Yep. Got time. Uh, and the fourth one, D&D Beyond interviews Sean Merwin. The, the Wizard Merwin. The Mad Wizard. The Mad Wizard, who's from Down With D&D podcast, Chris... Sneezak. Sneezak. Sean cool. is also part of Encoded Designs, and he uh, has helped me with my Avalon Kickstarter, too. So I've yeah. had, a, had the pleasure and honor of working with Sean. He's a really good guy. So Sean was interviewed by the folks at D&D Beyond, um, and it was a video interview, so we'll put a link in the show notes. So it's he's providing best advice for aspiring RPG writers. And then, of course, for Monger, Gumshoe System Guide for New Players on RPG Geek. Check that out. But that wraps it up yo for this week yeah next week we're going to talk about we're going to have a check in Sean and I have been running our new campaigns I want to check in I'll be running uh, my next my monthly session this Saturday with my boys so we'll see how that goes we'll check in on Sean's game see how we're cooking alright then there you have it thanks for tuning in everybody so for Gaming and BS I'm Sean and I'm Brett good night and good game at all This episode of Gaming and BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Andy Hall, Hawk Sparrow, Larry Hout, Mark DeSaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Maurice, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, The Closet Gamer, Chad Glayman, Finolf, Mirko Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.